From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. Okay, are you ready this morning? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be finishing up that teaching. How many have been to Ikea? Have you ever tried the meatballs? How many have ever bought something from Ikea? And when they load it up, it's, all, it's generally flat packed. So you're a little disheartened because you realize you just lost the rest of your Saturday putting something together. And so you, you load it into the car. And I remember we did an Ikea trip as a family. And for the most of the ride home, we were like this because there was stuff between us. And we were all trying to figure out how to fit what we overbought into the vehicle as we drove home. We get home and you open up the box and, and I remember buying my son a bed and it was this white laminate bed and we were super excited about the bed and so first thing we do is unbox everything and throw away the cardboard and then whatever that bag of screws and bolts and stuff threw that away because we weren't looking for that, we were looking for the bed. Why wouldn't I throw those away? No, no, come on, this is audience participation moment. Why wouldn't I throw those away? You need them. Why do you need them? They're necessary, right? Which part? So you tell me every part of that bag is necessary for that bed. That somebody in Sweden designed it correctly. It's all there. What's that? The extras, except for the extras. The extras, though, they technically have a point because they're extra. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, Now all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. All of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. You see, Paul in this verse makes a really interesting and important statement that you, take your finger, turn it around, put it in your chest, You are a necessary part of the body of Christ. The Greek word here for this phrase, separate and necessary, is the word miros, and it it means uniquely placed or fit, allotted with a very specific responsibility. And what Paul's doing is he's working to identify a tendency in this young Corinthian church, which is that sometimes because of their own perspective on self. They don't think they're a unique and necessary part of the body of Christ, and that will keep them from engaging. It'll keep them from giving their life away the way they're supposed to, because they don't see themselves as being of value and of importance. And then there's the the other side of the equation, which sometimes they might see themselves as really important, but they don't see the value in each other, and so they don't know how to draw on each other the very thing that God placed in the family, because we're all uniquely called to the house. Remember the Ikea story? The principle that Paul's trying to communicate here is we need each other to be complete. And there's a dangerous thing that happens at times, which we'll, we, we know that there's lots of different houses of worship. There's lots of different churches. And so we can easily say, well, he needs the whole church. But there's plenty of people in other churches that, that are doing their part. And the reality is God creates these families the family of God, and they, they kind of 
meet together and come together. Let's call them clans or tribes, whatever you want to use for a verbiage. But in this house and in the houses around the city, the principle is the same. Every member matters. There are no people that come into the kingdom of God that have no value. There are no people that come into the house of God that don't have purpose and function. That's just not the way God built it. And that's what Paul's trying to teach this young Corinthian church. So the question really for us isn't, do I have a place here? The question is, where do I use my gifting? Say this with me. I am gifted. How many really don't believe it? Be honest. How many struggle to believe you're gifted? You see, Paul's statement to the young Corinthian church is, whether you believe it or not, you are. So here's a couple simple rules for how we utilize our gifts. Be available. Really simple. Be available to the body. What does that mean? So I'll give you my story. Uh, I was at the vineyard in Canada. We were going to school at Christ for the Nations in uh, Surrey, British Columbia, and uh, being a, an American student in Canada, going to a private school, I wasn't allowed to work in Canada. They wouldn't, they wouldn't issue a work visa. So uh, other than my homework, I was bored. And so I went to the church, and I said, hey, I, they didn't know me. They'd never met me. So, you know, the, how many have gone through that thing where you go to a church, and they've never really met you, so they're a little standoffish. They say, we want you here, but we, we're not sure. I got that thing. So what they came up with was, we need somebody to run the hot dog cart, for the children's ministry. And my wife began to mock me because I would clean and wax this hot dog cart. Like I would just make sure it was pristine. I would show up on Sunday morning super early. I was like there the same time the pastors were getting there, way earlier than everybody. Did I want to run a hot dog cart? No. But it was a place for me to be involved and serve. And here's why that's important. You see, it's in this place when I start to give my life away in the kingdom that I begin to learn how to draw on the Holy Spirit when I encounter situations. You know, I sold a bunch of hot dogs and got to pray for a bunch of people because I got to strike up these conversations and find out. And I went, I checked. I'm like, is it okay that I pray for people? The pastor's like, really? You have to ask that? I'm like, yeah, I just want to make sure. So be available. The second is be willing to engage. You see, some of us have had history that's hurt us. And because we've been hurt, when we've stepped out and we've tried and it's not gone well, it makes it really easy to tell, tell ourselves, you know what, I'm not going to try that again. I just need a place. How many have ever said this? I just really need a place to just, just kind of be me. I love that idea, except it's not how God created the kingdom. Because you, being in this room, brings something to the family that's fresh and it's new and it makes us more complete. And so be available and engage. Be willing. So Paul will go on and he begins to share here's a list of some of the members that God's placed in the body of Christ. First, the apostles. Second, the prophets. Third are teachers. And then those who do miracles and those who have the gifts of healing those who can help others, those who get others to work together, those who speak in unknown languages. Is everyone an apostle? Of course not. Is everyone a prophet? No. Are all teachers? Does everyone have the power to do miracles? Does everyone have the gift of healing? Of course not. 
Does God give all of us the ability to speak in unknown languages? Can everyone interpret unknown languages? No. And in any event, you should desire the most helpful gifts. And I want to look at that little phrase. You should desire the most helpful gifts. Because what Paul's releasing to us is something that I think I would call the supernatural law of access. We have permission and we're encouraged by the Father to ask for whatever gift is best in the moment. It means we are intended to live without limitation. And in any event, you should desire the most helpful gift. Now this word desire here, it literally means an excitement of the mind or a mental excitement. It's a passion or a fervor in spirit. Most helpful gift, this phrase means the greater grace. So it means we should always be excited to see released the best possible solution of God in the moment. And I believe Paul is teaching this with two different desires. One is for us that we have no ego. What do I mean? If I'm in a room and I know there's somebody in the room that has... They function in the gift of healing, and I've seen them do it, and I'm coming across the need. Somebody's like, hey, my knee's like really swollen. Can you guys pray for me? I'm going to just call for that person say, hey, I know you've been blessed with this gift of healing, and God's healing people when you pray for them. Will you come over here and help me pray with this person? But what do I do in a situation where I look around, and it's crickets? There's nobody else here that has done this. And what Paul says is in that moment, I don't shrink back. I don't walk away. The answer isn't. Sorry, there's nobody here that knows how to do that. The answer is to cry out to the Holy Spirit in that moment and say, right now I'm faced with a need and I want to be able to meet it because I know that's who you are. You're a good God that wouldn't just look at this person and go, oh, that's a bummer, sorry, and walk away. No, Lord, I'm asking you to bless me with the ability to do this right now. So we have no ego in it. We invite people in. We have no fear. When there's nobody around, we ask. This is what it looks like to just live naturally in the supernatural. That's Paul's goal with this young Corinthian church, is to say, look, all of you have been uniquely gifted, but outside of your own gifting, you still have access to all the others. My question is, do we have that excitement towards the things of God that he's talking about? That mental excitement where like, I am excited to see the kingdom of God released in my day or in my time. The last thing I see in this passage is hidden in this list of some of the members of the body of Christ. What Paul will say here are some of the members of the body of Christ. First are apostles. Second are prophets. Third are teachers. And it goes on. And what Paul's doing in this entire passage in chapter 12 is he's borrowing from a metaphor that's going on in their culture. The New Oxford Annotated Bible says it this way, Paul's metaphor of the church as a body is derived from the Greco-Roman political discourse where the figure of the body and how it functions is, is intended to urge concord. In the well-known fable of Menius Agrippa, which I'm sure all of you know, right? Yeah. The Roman senator compares a strike by the common people to a revolt of the hands against the mouth and the teeth against the belly, resulting in the death of the body. 
So in ancient politics, the body analogy was essentially conservative, portraying the established order as natural. But Paul uses the metaphor subversively to question conventional assumptions about status and honor. Paul seems to emphasize mutuality rather than hierarchy. Other than the fact that I just taught you why you don't read concordances, what is Paul saying here? This word first, first of the apostles. The word itself means first in order. So the apostles are first in order, the prophets are second in order, and so on. Now if I read this as a master list of value and authority, it reinforces the tendency that Paul seems to be fighting. Prior to this, Paul seems to be trying to establish the need of everybody, the essentialness of everybody, the function of everybody. So if I read this set as a list of ordinals, this person's first, this person's second, and it's, that's, they're more important, they're more valuable. What it causes me, if I'm not on that list, to do is shrink back and go, look, I'm not on that list. I just don't have value. Not nearly the same importance. And I just don't think that's what Paul's doing. If we consider the narrative and what it's saying in 1 Corinthians in, section, in this specific section of chapter 12, there's two ideas that Paul seems to be having in his mind while he's talking. The first one is, He's using a picture of the human body. We've looked at that for the last few weeks. The human body to explain the interconnectedness of the body of Christ. He talks about the way the body interacts, the way it talks to itself. And the second thing is he seems to be communicating the absolute need for each member to serve and cover the other members for the body to be healthy. So I have questions. If Paul's entire logic track is to help us understand the, the need of each other, the importance of each other, the value of each other, he's, he's laboring to say, you're important, you have a need, you have a gift, we want to, you to engage in it. Why would I believe that now he's going through and saying, this person's the top, this is the second, this is the third? So if we look at this phrase, first in order, my question is, first in order of what? Do we believe that Paul is declaring these positions in order of importance, or is it possible that it's in order of responsibility? Better question, do we think Jesus actually intended the kingdom to be set up in this top-down type of hierarchy? Last week, we took a look at just a simple concept at the end. And the challenge was that we learn to live like Jesus, which is to regard others even to the disregard of self. To put others first. Because that's what he did. So if we take this passage we're looking at and we look at it through that lens, I want to ask you a question. You know how most authors are picturing something in their head when they write? They're seeing an image, they're describing it. What do we think Paul is looking at when he writes this? Give you a hint. I already told you. What do we think he's looking at? What's he trying? What's he describing in this entire passage in twelve? A body. Yeah, Paul's describing a body. And so I have a question: Could we therefore see him looking at the feet 
catch this, first are the apostles, and then the prophets, and then the teachers. And we see him end with a language gift, which generally happens around the mouth. What's my point? Because if that's true, what Paul would be doing is actually stating something that would have been revolutionary for the day. He would be calling for the undoing of of a hierarchy-based leadership structure. And could it be that what Paul's really saying is something that sounds like this? The greater your responsibility is, the lower you go into the support of the body. Is there anything in our body that carries more weight than the feet? Is there any muscle group that really carries a workload like like the legs? See, Paul seems to be fighting the culture, teaching this young church that to be the greatest of all is to model what the king does and become the servant of all. And we go back to Matthew 20. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, servant leadership is simple. The higher you want to go in responsibility, the lower you go. the upside-down kingdom. In our culture, the higher you ascend, the less you do. People work for you. But Jesus seems to model the exact opposite. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. And servanthood's a hard thing to grab onto. How many would say it's easier to be served than it is to serve? It's our nature to be served. It's not our nature to serve. But it's the nature of the king in us to serve. So part of this is learning how to let the kingdom of God be released through me. And I just want us to hear this. The kingdom of God is most largely released through servanthood. I give my life away. Learning to live with the heart attitude of a servant, which says this, there is nothing beneath me. There's nobody beneath me. I always think about it this way. The more responsibility you have in the church, the more people you're holding up, the more people that are counting on you. This is what Paul's trying to communicate to this young Corinthian church, I think he's trying to show them that in the kingdom, the more important you want to become, the more willing you have to be to serve. But you see, it's not just in the church. It's in our homes. It's in the workplace. It's in the marketplace. It's in the schools. Because allowing Jesus to come through us means we allow ourselves to be servants. We allow ourselves to do what he did and wrap the cloak around his waist and 
take the basin of water. And you have to think about this moment. The disciples in that culture, hot, dry, dirty, their feet were disgusting. And Jesus kneels down and begins to wash their feet. And they say to him, do not do this. This is not right. And he looks at them and says, if you don't let me do this, you have no part of me. In other words, if you can't figure out how to serve, you can't be in the kingdom. Let's stand this morning. I want to encourage us this week in our homes. Here, let me be more specific. Gentlemen, I want to encourage you this week. Lead the way. Be servants. Say this with me. There is nothing beneath me. Aren't we glad that Jesus had that attitude? Because the cross wouldn't have happened had he not. So I want to encourage us to model that servant-hearted tenderness that we see in him, in our homes, in our jobs, with each other as we interconnect and do life together in small groups and on our teams. And just remind ourselves, the kingdom's about giving my life away. There's no greater call than giving you everything I am. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We're grateful for just your goodness and your love for us. Lord, this week, as we um, tackle this reality, Lord, I know that servant nature is not in us normally. So we're crying out for you to begin to release to us the gift of knowing what it looks like to serve Lord, may we become a people that are known in this city as servants, that are known in this city by the strength and the joy we find in serving, that we have been so gripped by you and by your model in front of us that we just love and serve the people around us. We honor you. We bless you. May your face shine upon us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See you Wednesday. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.